doesn't worship amazing? <laughs> I'm still a little bit wrecked from that worship moment. Um, I promise that today's sermon isn't all going to be about dads, but I do want to take a moment to just share a little bit of a story um, about my dad. Um, I know that, f as Katya was saying, Father's Day can carry a lot of different things for different people in people's hearts. And I'm someone who had the privilege of having, or having, I currently have an amazing dad. Um, he's really, really an amazing man. And I just felt to share this story because I felt like it might be for someone in the room, it might be for everyone in the room, I don't know. Um, but my dad, uh, my dad is, is truly an amazing man. And the thing about fatherhood is that um, true uh, real fathers, when it's done right, when it's done the kingdom way, show you what God is like. They show you the character of God. And maybe your father didn't do that. That's okay. My father did in some ways, and he didn't in other ways. Um, but specifically, one of the things that my dad kind of um, displayed for me that was really powerful through my childhood was just his, the way he saw beauty, and he created beauty. He He's a very creative person. He's a gardener in the summer. He cultivates our garden, takes all the flowers, cuts them, puts them in vases, brings them into our home. In the winter, he decorates our home with Christmas lights and makes it this beautiful extravaganza for the whole world to see, for our neighbors to hate on us. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just truly all about beauty. He's about beauty and music. He would kind of, in car rides, he would play a song and he would tell us all about the uh, the band members and who they were and why this song is amazing and the lyrics and he would just admire music so much and for me the way it played out in my life is I was actually a very artsy kid growing up in my teen years and I was going through a really rough th season through my teen years I was dealing with depression I was dealing with some self uh, you know self-hatred things um, and I was dealing with some health issues with migraines and things like that. And so I went through a tough season through my teen years. And the way I got through that season was by painting. And I would sit in my room and I would just paint pictures. And they were exactly what you would expect from a depressed teenager. They were a little <laughs> weird. Um, <laughs> they were strange pieces, but I would love, I would like sit and just paint and paint and paint and paint. And my dad loved my art. He would always take those pictures and he would take pictures of them, show them to his friends and brag on me. And they probably thought they were weird, but my dad just loved it. And I would lock my room because I didn't want people to see my art when I wasn't home. It was just like very special to me. And one day I must have forgotten to lock my bedroom because I came home from school and my dad was in my room just admiring my art. And he was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. And I shouted at him, told him to leave, and was all embarrassed. But I just feel like that's such a picture of God's heart for us, that he, he will break into your room. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully not your, your, your real father didn't do that like mine, but um, <laughs> break into your room and just in, in your moments of need, he wants to admire you. He wants to see the beauty in who you are. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys with that, that God is a father of beauty, and he's admiring each one of us as his creations. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to pray before I, I start preaching here. But Lord, yeah, Father, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you're a kind, kind king, that you 
are benevolent, you are generous, and you love the beauty that you've created in us, and you love the beauty that we create, Father. I'm so grateful, and I pray this morning that you would just continue what you're doing in our hearts that you were doing through worship. You would just continue to stir us up this morning. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, I had a really awesome sermon prepared by Friday, and it was very on brand. It was all about uh, our adoption as sons and daughters. It was going to be great uh, for Father's Day. And then on Friday night, I was taking a walk, and it was Friday night. I don't know if you guys saw the sunset on Friday night, but it was beautiful. Friday night was gorgeous. And so I was on a walk by BU Bridge, and just walking across this bridge and seeing the city across from me, seeing the reflection of the sunset on the Charles River. It was beautiful. And as I'm walking across this bridge just admiring, I see a group of teenagers walking up, and they're all just on their phones. Um, I sound like an old man, but they're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're all just on their phones. Uh, I left my phone at home or else I would have done the same thing. But they're, they're all on their phones walking across this bridge, and I felt the Lord say to me as I saw them, if they would just look up, like if they would just look up and see the sunset. And I felt in that moment it was about the city. It was about Boston. Something we're calling this city to do is just look up. Just look up and you'll see this sunset. Just look up and you'll see God's face. You don't have to do much. You just have to look up and you, you'll see him. And so that kind of stirred my heart to change the message this morning to talk a little bit about something called revival that we've prayed for already this morning, which is amazing. And so... I want to have you guys open up to John chapter 4, if you guys have your Bibles, John chapter 4, and we're going to jump into a conversation that Jesus has, um, and it's an awesome conversation, uh, and it's a surprising conversation, and so I'm going to, there's a ton of meaning in this chapter, I wish I could read it over and over again, but we're going to focus on one specific area this morning. Um, <coughs> So if you guys are there, I'm going to start reading just from verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that sorry, that Jesus was making disciples and, ba sorry, baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask, me for something, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and, what it, what it is, sorry, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What? <laughs> That's kind of random, isn't it? <laughs> I love Jesus' conversations, and every conversation that Jesus has in the Bible is a little bit confusing. 
Um, sometimes I wonder how the disciples did it because we get to read this like six times and like highlight it and get the context and figure out what's going on. But disciples, this woman, they just had one shot to hear what Jesus said and it probably went over their head half the time. Um, but that's kind of what Jesus did. He spoke in these like riddles. He spoke in stories. And the purpose of that was to get to people's hearts and to bypass their mind a little bit and just get to the, the root of what was going on in their hearts. It was kind of a, a sift, sifting from, you know, people who were ready to receive from him and people who weren't ready to receive from him. And so let's see how the woman responds. So she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Excuse me. Why on earth would she agree to this? <laughs> she has no reason to trust Jesus in this moment. We've already seen that the Jews and the Samaritans are enemies. They're, they're, the Samaritans are looked down upon by the Jews. She knows he's a Jew. She's never seen this man before. She hasn't heard stories of Jesus. The message of Jesus hasn't spread up to, to Samaria yet. Um, he has every reason to deceive her because he's the enemy. Um, he's, she's never heard him teach or preach, and she's never even seen a miracle of his up to this point. And so this strange man comes to her, says, give me some water. She says, okay, and then he gives, uh, starts rambling about living water, and she says, yes, I want this water. Give me this water. She didn't say, okay, you're a crazy man. I'm going to walk away now. Let's get out of here. She says, yes, I want this water. How crazy. I wonder why that is. <laughs> I think we, we uh, as we read on, we'll kind of discover that. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I think this tells us why the Samaritan woman was so easier, e eager to accept what Jesus was saying would give her life. It's because she's already been searching for living water. She's already been searching for something. She's been from husband to husband, might have been mistreated husband to husband or mistreated people. We don't know the story, the backstory of what went on, but we know that she's searching. We know that she's thirsty. And so Jesus is speaking to someone in this moment who's thirsty, and he knows what's going to get to her heart. And that's why he offered her this living water. He knew that she would accept that living water. I think that there's a key here that she was fully aware of her brokenness when she met Jesus. In, in the chapter before this, and I wanted to read that, but we don't have time, there's a man named Nicodemus who's a religious leader who comes to Jesus with questions, and Jesus gives him a pretty similar absurd story or, or message that he gives this woman, but this man, Nicodemus, doesn't immediately accept that message because he's a religious leader. He thinks he's got it figured out. He doesn't know he's thirsty. But this woman 
she knows she's thirsty. She knows she needs something. And so when Jesus offers her living water, she wants to accept, and she does. Um, I think that we, uh, we need to be aware of our thirst. We need to be aware of our brokenness before God in order to receive the things that he wants to give us. We, there, sometimes an awareness comes in us and it feels like pain. I've walked through a season recently where there's a lot of pain being brought up in my life and it's not because of God bringing pain onto my life. It's because of some decisions that I've made that have brought me pain and those decisions were made out of me thinking that I've got it all figured out, thinking that I'm not thirsty. I don't need you, God, in these moments. I don't need your presence right now. I just ca I can do this on my own. And I need to be more like the Samaritan woman. I need to be aware of my need. So, I'm going to keep reading here. We'll see what happens next, which is pretty awesome. So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that, that, what, sorry, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but, but you say that in Jerus Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Good idea, disciples. <laughs> so the woman left her with a water jar. Sorry, she left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town. Sorry, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of this word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of our world. 
we could read this like 50 times. There's so much packed in there, and I wish I could. But the, the thing that I kind of want to focus on this is the woman's response. So she, she accepts this living water. She says, yes, I want this living water. And then she immediately goes out and starts sharing the word. And this is kind of the first revival in the Bible. It's a, she, she goes to this city and starts bringing people to Jesus. And it's a really amazing thing how quickly she responded. As I said before, Nicodemus, who had the same opportunity to bring people into uh, to living water, he didn't choose to do that. He, he left Jesus and still was questioning what was going on, who is this man. But this woman, she got to meet the Messiah, and then she goes and brings other people into the kingdom with her. And so this is kind of what I want to talk about around revival. Um, I, I know that we use this word revival a lot in our community, and it's an awesome word, and we, <coughs> we pray about revival a lot. Um, but I don't want the word to kind of get lost in some of the religious jargon that we use as a community. For me, a background for me, I did not grow up into the charismatic or in the charismatic movement of the church. Um, what that means is that I, while I believed God could do miracles and did do miracles, I didn't necessarily believe that he was pouring out his spirit and doing miracles today. And so my first experience in what we'd call the charismatic church, I realized uh, I actually went to a Bible school called Bethel Church in California. It's a very popular charismatic movement that's doing amazing things. And there's something there where they talk about revival a lot. They talk about revival culture. They call each other revivalists. It's this uh, kind of culture of revival that they're cultivating there. And when I first got there, I was highly confused <laughs> because I had never even heard this word revival. It wasn't something that we prayed for. It wasn't something that I knew. So I was wondering, what does this mean? Why are we praying for it? Why is this a charismatic thing? I just don't understand what this is. Um, and I was too afraid to ask people what was going on because, <laughs> you know, when, when everyone seems to be on the same page, it's harder to ask. And so, <laughs> side note, if you're, if you're someone who, you know, is new to maybe a charismatic environment or the church in general, don't be afraid to ask people. Like, if there's a word we're using that you don't understand, if something's happening, ask. And if you're someone in this room who's a part of our culture, the table culture, invite people in and, and ask them questions. Do you know what's going on? Is this, you know? We, we've had quite a crazy worship service. If you're confused, if you don't know what went on, talk to some of those people. Um, I wish I had done that in the moment, but instead I kind of just had to, figure out what revival was hap what what revival was in the school and so what i thought it was cuz we would have these things called revival meetings where you'd go to church like seven o'clock and you'd be there till like 3 a.m. like worshiping Jesus for hours and there would be the Holy Spirit would pour out people would fall out there would be miracles and healings um, and it was an amazing time um, but i don't like staying up late <laughs> My home group is all laughing because I kicked them out at like 10.30. <laughs> and so I didn't really like, I didn't think I liked revival culture. I was like, I love the miracles. But it just see, it seemed so inaccessible to me. It was like, okay, if this is what revival is, if it's these constant meetings, um, I don't know if I want, want to be a part of it. <laughs> uh, I like my sleep too much, guys. <laughs> Katia's with me. I like my sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> However, then we started really studying revival as a school. We started reading about the historical revivals that ha had happened in this nation. 
um, and beyond, and since the since uh, the beginning of the church, and I realize that revival isn't a charismatic thing, although you need charis, which is the grace of the Holy Spirit. You need you need charismatic expression. You need the gifts of the Spirit. But it's not a charismatic thing. Revivals happen across denominational lines. It's happened across age groups, theological beliefs. Um, it's happened. It's it's happened for centuries. And these revivals have sustained the church throughout the years. It's the reason that we're meeting today is because there's a revival that's happened before us, and before that one there was another revival, and before that one there was another revival. Excuse me. <coughs> revival is. Uh, deeply a part of being a Christian, and it's something that we can pray for. It's something that we can expect, and what revival simply is is when God's grace pours out on people in mass like this, like this situation, this woman, one woman in her heart met Jesus, and she left, and it turned into a whole city being moved to come and hear from Jesus, and it's not, uh, it's not about you know, getting tons and tons of people saved, although it is about getting tons and tons of people saved. It's about shifting a city, shifting a nation, things like that. So that's something that we're pursuing as a community. We're pursuing revival. Excuse me. And we're going to be unashamed about pursuing revival. <laughs> we're going to be unashamed about it as the table. I, I want to... I would love to talk about how revival shifts nations, how it brings justice, how, um, how it's meant to impact people, um, the poor, the broken, but I don't have time to talk about all those things, unfortunately, so I'm going to focus on this. If you do want to know more about revival, um, you know, do a Google search, first of all, and then read Julian's stuff. Julian has a ma an amazing book called Terra Nova. It's about revival. Um, yeah, just search any of his messages on revival. They're super powerful. But there are three kind of things that I want to highlight in this story about revival and what revival means. The first one is that revival starts in the heart. So it doesn't just start in late night meetings, although I've learned to love those late night meetings. <laughs> um, I think sometimes God's power moves and you can't help but stay in the room till 2, 3 a.m. And we want those. Um, but it doesn't start there. It starts in people's hearts. There was a Samaritan woman who had no reason to believe Jesus. Uh, she didn't come, or he didn't come to her with persuasive words or anything. He just came with a gift and said, I have living water. And her heart connected to that. Her heart said yes. Her heart said, I want what he has. And so revival in all of us has to start in our hearts. Um, as I said, I was on this walk on Friday night, and one of the things that God kind of, I felt like God was leading me to do was to read up on some of the revivals that have happened in New England, and in Boston specifically, and there's some crazy revivals that have happen, happened here. There's a rich history of revival here. If you look up Jonathan Edwards and the First Great Awakening, um, that wasn't too far from here. It was in New England. Um, but there was this man named George Whitfield who was an amazing, in the First Great Awakening, he was a preacher who brought so many people to the Lord, and people just loved hearing him speak. And so in Boston, in 1741, it was the first time that he came to preach in Boston. And his first meeting had 2,000 people gathered. His very first meeting, 2,000 people came to hear the word of God from George Whitfield. 
But within one week, he arrived on Friday. By Wednesday the next week, 23,000 people were meeting on Boston Common to hear the word of God through George Whitfield. It's crazy. 23,000. And the population of Boston at that time was 17,000. <laughs> so people came from far and wide. It was said to have been the biggest gathering in North America up until that point. And so um, Sarah Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' wife, said this about George. She said, It is wonderful to see what a spell he casts over an audience by proclaiming the simplest truths of the Bible. I've seen upwards of a thousand people hang on his words with breathless silence, broken only by the occasional half-suppressed sob. A prejudiced person I know might say that this is all theatrical artifice and display, but not so will anyone think who has seen and known him. He is a very devout and godly man, and his only aim seems to be to reach and influence men the best way. He speaks from a heart aglow with love and pours out a torrent of eloquence which is almost irresistible. It wasn't that his words were powerful. He was proclaiming the simplest truths of the Bible. He was just reading the story of Jesus, and people were coming under conviction. They were turning to Jesus. That's what we want to see, <laughs> and we will. So that's the fir first thing, is that revival starts in the heart. Second is revival comes to the thirsty. Again, revival came to the Samaritan woman because she, she knew that she needed God. She knew that she was desperate for something. She was in a cycle. She was from husband to husband to husband. She, she saw these patterns in her life, and she was searching for something. There are people out in our world who are searching for something. And we have the well that they need to drink of. We get to offer them that. We get to help them meet Jesus. It's not about what we carry. It's about what he, who he is. And if there are cycles in your life, what well are you drinking from? What well are we as the people of God drinking from? Are we drinking from the well of life? Revival comes to those who are thirsty. Here's another just quick story from more revivals here. This was the revival of 1823 in Boston. Prior to the, the revival of 1823, congregational pastors had met together during the 1822 annual convention to pray for revival and had later joined with the Baptists to establish a union prayer meeting. It's across denominations. Reverend Benjamin B. Wisner of Old South Church says in January 1823, the little church full meeting, in full meeting unanimously voted to observe a day of fasting and prayer to humble ourselves before God for their sins and to seek direction as to their duty in endeavoring to promote the work of God and to supplicate the more plentiful effusions of the Holy Spirit. That same month, three young women at Park Street Church came under the deep conviction of God. And this was considered the start of the 1823 revival. Soon, both men and women were meeting more often in homes for prayer and confession. The three Orthodox congregations were holding special weekly prayer meetings. By the end of March, some 250 people were attending the inquiry meeting at Park Street Church, while 100 were present at Old South Church. So three women in the matter of months turned into 350 people who were seeking after God. <laughs> Imagine if every one of us had 350 people 
uh, the, that's an exponential growth. That's revival. Revival comes when more people, because of what's going on in our hearts as the people of God, more people are drawn into to the spirit. Revival comes to the thirsty. Last thing, revival comes from a response. It comes from a response to God. This woman, the Samaritan woman, immediately responded to God by going and shouting from the rooftop. She was so excited about this living, uh, living water that she had just received. She was so excited about meeting the Messiah that she couldn't help but tell the people around her. She ran to them. Are we people who do that? Do we run to the people around us and say, this man who knows everything that I did, I met a man who knows every single thing that I did, and he didn't shame me, he didn't condemn me, he didn't uh, put me down, he knows everything that I did, he didn't shame me, he came to me and he actually said, here's eternal life. That was his gift to me when he said, I know you've had five husbands. I know that you're not uh, the type of people that we normally associate with. I know that you're, you're struggling. I know that you're thirsty. Here's eternal life for you. Are we doing that? Are we going out into our communities? Are we sharing that? It's not about our words. Like I said, it's about the gift that we have. We've been given eternal life. We've been given living water. Are we doing that? Look up, lift your eyes, as it says here, for the fields are ripe for harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest in Boston. There are kids walking around on their cell phones who won't even look at the sunset. There are adults scrolling Instagram and trying to find fulfillment and trying to find life and trying to, you know, change the world, but they don't know their father. They don't know their king. They don't know living water. I can guarantee you that revival comes from a response. It's never, revival's never gonna grow. It's never gonna happen if we don't get out of here <laughs> and start sharing with people. It's impossible. Revival comes through God's sovereign move in our hearts as we go out and speak the truth to other people. So this morning, I hope that you've uh, just been stirred around revival been stirred this morning. Revival starts in the heart. It comes to the thirsty, and it comes from a response. So I'm going to give us some time for a response. Tim, do you mind coming to play keys? Yeah. Yeah, God is already doing something so powerful. He's already doing something so powerful. We were, our home group was out on a prayer walk on Wednesday night, and as we were walking, Brandon goes, God, we want to know what you're already doing. And that, like, stirred something in me. It was really powerful. We were, we're praying for the city and we're praying for revival, but we also want to see what God's already doing in our city. And he's beginning something. Four people got healed this morning <laughs> in our meeting, and I think God wants to do more healing even right now. And so um, let's just take a moment. I'm going to ask a few of you guys to stand up if you're feeling stirred for a couple of things. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We want to see more. We want to see more of you, Jesus. Stir our hearts this morning, Jesus. 
If you're someone here who came this morning and you are thirsty, <laughs> you're aware, you've become aware that you need something. You need something to quench something in your heart that you're living with patterns or you just don't know where to go next. You're just confused. Jesus is offering living water this morning and all you have to do is say yes, yes, God. And so if, that's, if that resonates with you, I want to invite you to stand up if you can. Thank you. Yeah, if you're able to stand, this is just an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning, to respond to what God's stirring up in your heart. If you're feeling thirsty, you're feeling like you need more, you need God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you want to quench our thirst, that you want to come with your living water this morning. God, I pray that you would just give us each a taste of that living water this morning. God, we know that you're so good to pour out your spirit. You're so good to pour out your living water. If you're someone in this room who isn't thirsty, so you think, but you want to be thirsty, <laughs> If you're, if you're feeling like I felt um, a couple months ago where I was, you know, I was just doing life and I knew I needed God somewhere, but I wasn't actively seeking him. I want to invite you to stand up and be brave and just respond to God in this moment. If you're like, wow, I, I know that I need to be thirstier. <laughs> I know I need to seek God for a bit more. There's no shame in that. There's no problem with that. It's totally okay. In fact, God honors just your want to want him. <laughs> he honors that. He'll, he'll come with his spirit. His spirit's so good to do that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Father, I just pray that you would stir up a thirst in each one of us, God. I pray that you would continue to pour out on this community of the table. God, you would continue to pour out on the churches of Boston, Jesus. God, I pray that you would just, just eradicate any, any amount of uh, complacency in our hearts towards you, Jesus. I pray that in me, God, you would eradicate complacency in my heart, God. I pray that you would remind me of the areas that I need you. You would remind me of the areas where I'm just longing for you, Jesus. I pray that you would lift up my eyes this morning, God. You would lift my eyes up off of my distractions. You would lift my eyes up off of the, the things that I'm looking at, God. I pray for each one of us, God, that you would just lift our eyes to you, God. You would lift our eyes to you, Jesus. I pray that you would encounter us this morning as a father, as a, the Holy Spirit, God. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.